Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and today I have a special guest. I have Kirby, Elevar's lead CRO strategist. We just got done recording a few more episodes of Guest the Test, so our brains are hot on optimization and experimentation. So we're rolling right into an episode, and uh, yeah, excited for you all to hear from Kirby, our optimization guru. Welcome, Kirby. Hey, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So we're not going to mess around. We're just jumping right into, I asked the question, we did not a ton of research on this, but off the top of our head, what are the top three A-B tests or experimentation winners of, of all time? And again, no hard numbers to any of these, but the top three that come to mind for Kirby and I have my top three as well. And uh, this is over years of experience. Some might be relevant, some might not to you, but Kirby, let's just go one to one. So you you go, then I'll go, and then we'll uh, we'll get through the top our top six or seven best. Your number one experiment of of all time. What do you got? Yeah. So uh, this one was specifically for email sign up rate. Um, so a little bit different KPI, but we saw um, about a sixty four percent increase in email like lead capture while most importantly, holding revenue per additional subscriber consistent. So you're bringing the hard numbers. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I have that one was a recent one. So I had that was top of mind. All right. So what was it? So 64% increase in email signups and the value of the email over time held up. So it wasn't like a bunch of junk emails. What was the uh, what was it without getting too specific on the on the customer? But yeah, what was the experiment? Yeah. So the the control, the offer was the email sign up offer was kind of just like stay notified of, you know, relevant promotions yeah. and really generic, not not really a specific offer. Um, and in the variant, we offered a giveaway of um, of a really, yeah, really, really cool product um, for this client. Yeah. All right. Well, smart minds. You're smarter in this realm than me, but smart ish minds think alike. My number one. My number one, if you've known me long enough, you probably heard this, the email modal experience. If someone were to ask me what are the, what are the top two or three things that you'd implement right away on site, the email modal experience would be the number one. And for years, maybe not as much in 2022, but previous years, the email modal where you land on the site and you're immediately presented you click a cold Facebook campaign, you come to the site and you get this blanket message getting 10% off. And then potentially some of that dark messaging, like, no, I don't want a discount that we, I don't know how many times we tested this a lot, but when you close it is just don't close and have it go invisible, just close and collapse it somewhere. So a user can access it, whether it's in the nav or a floating thing, which maybe isn't as good these days with how many floating widgets there are, but that was always one that would win every single time. And it would win in email sign up rate it was like a double double dip you'd get more emails and your conversion rate would go up significantly because once that person navigated through the site and they're like oh i want that 10 percent coupon 
I don't have a way to access it. How can I get it? But when you make it accessible where they can go back in there, again, they get the email, you get their email, they get the discount. So you get a higher conversion rate, higher uh, revenue per value, revenue per user, excuse me, et cetera. All right. So that was mine. Interesting that we both had, and we didn't share notes ahead of time. So interesting. We both had email, What's your, uh, what's your second one? Yeah, this one's actually kind of similar. Um, so another <laughs> all client, email, this is going to be, we're going to call this the, how to optimize email, email options. Yeah, so it's not email, but it's a similar experience. So, uh, this client, they drove a ton of traffic to influencer landing pages and each page had a coupon code specific to that influencer. So that was kind of the, the control experience is just show the, show the code. And then the user can navigate throughout the rest of the site and hopefully remember the code. Um, so in the variant, we persisted that specific influencer code throughout the entire experience. So once they clicked away from the influencer landing page, they were reminded in the top banner under the price on the PDP, uh, under the checkout button in the cart, they continued to have that code top of mind so that they didn't have to try to navigate back and figure out you know, what the exact, uh, you know, code, uh, mm-hmm. you know, string was. So that one, yeah, really similar, just uh, persisting that across the experience. I, I think I might have stolen that one <laughs> from from your backlog as well. Yeah, that, that was my number two. So is one that, again, we would see this win over and over again. YouTube ad with a influencer coupon code, click to the site, they see the coupon code on that landing page, and then they navigate to the product page and that coupon code is gone forever unless they go back or they wrote it down or they remembered it. So I think, didn't we have one one customer where we'd set the personalization up on hundreds? It carried across hundreds of different influencer landing pages. Yeah, yeah. We, they had the code that was really similar to, uh, or it was, it was actually the same string in one of their UTM parameters. So we just stored mm-hmm. that value. And yeah, it applied to, yeah, they had literally hundreds of influencer landing pages. So UTM content was influencer XYZ. The coupon code was influencer XYZ. So as long as those two match, then you could carry that personalization out throughout the site. Yep. All right. So now I need to, I need to go to my, I have a backlog. So I'll pull my, pull my next one. This one, this is, I had this as number five copywriting. It's it's an easy cop-out because there isn't a clear experiment, but I will say one thing that over the last couple of years that we've seen is brands that focus on copywriting, not always long form, but could could just be short form copy, like your hero value prop. Do I get what you sell in two seconds? I think that is one that we've seen when done right can really move the needle on a conversion rate. So the the example I've used for a long time, which I still love their their landing pages, is the Food Babe, which I think is Truvani. And they, I remember they they have a whole line of products now, but if you just go through some of their product landing pages, they're so long. But it's just, it's story, story, evidence, story, story, problem. Uh, not necessarily exactly that, but it does a really, really good job of making it interesting to read through her uh, you know, her pitch on that product. But in other examples, there's a deodorant one. I won't remember this. this I think this came from Copy Hackers, an example from, from them. But it, you go to a hero and it's just, instead of having this you know catchy copy trying to be cute, it's like 
do your armpit smell or it was something like that. It was, it was, uh, I should have researched this ahead of time, but obviously it was deodorant, but it was along that. It was just being very clear. Like if you have this problem, we'll fix this. Like, do you still have this problem while you're in the airplane or while you're in the office or whatever it might be? Um, any, any like good copywriting examples off the top of your head that you've seen perform pretty well? Yeah. So that was actually going to be my third, um, <laughs> specific, well, specifically the hero section on yeah. the homepage. I see a lot of, I mean, you know, pretty consistently branch drive 20 plus percent of traffic to their homepage. Um, and that, that content above the fold, both from a creative and a copy standpoint, as well as like where you send users, um, from that specific element. Uh, yeah. I think that, you know, just time after time, that's been really, really impactful to optimize that experience. Um, since like I said, it's a, a really heavy landing page and is the first thing that users see. Yeah. So we've done copy testing, you know, in the, the hero section and seen, you know, double digit increases in conversion rate and revenue per visitor. Yeah. Yeah. So this one, it was sweat block, sweat okay. block. And let's see, I'm going to, I'll put the, the link in show notes, but it's a really good article on copy hackers that goes through the problem agitation solution overview on the, the homepage and just the copy that they use. So the example for this one, uh, yeah, they're, they're headline in the hero image, control your sweat and wear what you want. Stop excessive sweating for up to seven days with just the dab of a towelette, sweat less, live more. And, the uh, I think that was the variation that ended up winning. And uh, again, it's just, it goes back. It's just being very clear problem agitation solution, which that one followed almost to a T. So copywriting would be my second one. Your third one, did I steal number three for you? Yeah, three, just mentioned it briefly, uh, just testing into the hero section on the homepage. Um, so like I said, really for a lot of clients, that's kind of the front door to the website. So we see, mm -hmm you know, 20 plus percent uh, landing page traffic hitting the homepage across all different traffic sources and, um, you know, types of traffic. So I think testing into that hero section, both from a creative perspective, copy, as well as where you send users, uh, yeah. you know, when they click the call to action, I think all of those, you know, optimizations, like I said, that we've seen those be really impactful. And super easy to test. Mm-hmm. The hardest part about a copy test on the homepage is coming up with the copy. Yeah. Yeah. If you're using Google Optimize, VWO, it doesn't matter what you are using. It's really easy just to get that test up and running. Uh, so my next one is, so these two, I'm actually just going to lump these in into one. I had a short focused homepage. So instead of having long, lengthy homepages, there were many experiments over the years I would see perform very, very well, especially mobile, where you it's your job as the the brand owner of the homepage, knowing at minimum is it new, returning, or potentially the campaign they're coming from, but just keep that homepage very focused to where the user, who the user is as best as you can, and keep it focused. Like, do you want to go gender-based? Do you want to go category, subcategory-based? Do you, our colors, basically, so Look Rousseau is a customer uh, previous to Elevar and with Elevar, longtime customer and Kinsley Armel, and they have color. So jewelry, 
So a lot of examples of colors that aren't necessarily just cookware like Le Creuset, but for brands that would lead with an attribute of their product is lead with color. So if you're selling by color, then sell by color on that homepage and, and allow users to get right into it. So that was all, that was one that ASOS is still a great example of the way they gender lock you based on are you here for men or women. The second part of this, so the B, so 3B would be on the PDP, just very clear expectations on price, shipping, and returns. And just having that policy or not even the lengthy policies, but just having that very clear. So we pricing psychology and UX testing, shipping testing, free shipping versus non-shipping timelines, especially with today with not necessarily as much trust outside of Amazon with shipping timelines, but that clarity just in a very concise manner on the PDP near that uh, near the call to action was always one that performed uh, performed very well. What do you got? What's your next one? Oh, I have to have another. I gave you three. <laughs> um, I think my, yeah, last one, I'll say, uh, again, more general, this would be a little more specific to um, like a promotional period. So think Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I've tested, you know, a handful of times just giving users as much access to the the promotional uh, details or like the promotional page as possible. Yeah. So exposing that on mobile, um, you know, adding it in the top banner, just giving users the ability to get there, uh, especially for retargeting ads that might be sending users to a product page where they're not being told about a site-wide promotion or something like that, or it's a little bit tougher to find. Just giving yeah. users in those periods as much visibility and access to the the promotion that's going on. Yeah. Any Anything stand out that would you would think would be a big winner, but has not ended up being a big winner. I, I'll, I'll share your first one. I'll give you, a, give you a minute to prep to think. So the one that we've seen a few times are the, in the mini cart and the checkout, the upsells. So I, I think it, there's an, uh, there's an art and, and a more probably more of a science to the upsell and getting that implemented right. So it's not just a, slap an upsell on there and expect everything to just work and your AOV will magically go up. And that is also one that with a checkout. So some of the, the order upsell or the upsell apps in the checkout, I think that was another one that we'd see test. And we've tested that many times where just, I won't speak for hundred percent of the time, but I was always surprised when that would come back as a, it was hurting conversion rate, hurting revenue per visitor. And again, it wasn't just a, there's an there's only an upside to adding these you know buy this pack of gum in your uh, checkout line and n- not much of a thought that it actually could lower your overall conversion rate because people are might, might be exiting start researching that product and just just get stuck but so that was always a surprise to me and which is no surprise like rebuy and others that we see a very have a ton of a success where there's potentially more science behind how those upsells are managed that's uh I think just some more thought into how those function is, uh, was always one that was a surprise to me. What about you? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's, you know, necessarily like a pattern or something that I see a hundred percent of the time, but I think it's definitely worth testing, uh, some of those like transactional, um, like confidence boosters on either the product page or the cart, you know, mo- more specifically, uh, return policy and, 
like a warranty or kind of a product guarantee. There have been times where I have seen those actually detract from conversion metrics. Yeah. Potentially it's highlighting, you know, is there like, if you're reminding me of a warranty, like, should I be concerned that, you know, this isn't going to last or, um, if, you know, if you offer, you know, whatever your return policy is, you know, that kind of highlights, Hey, am I going to have to go through the arduous process of returning this, which nobody yeah. likes to do. Um, so I think, you know, we have seen them be really impactful. Um, I think it really can depend on, you know, just the favorability of the policies, but, yeah. um, definitely, yeah, definitely, uh, a surprise at times to see those, um, you know, actually detract from the experience. Yeah. All right. Let's shift a little bit to what are, when you look at brands that have been really, really successful in increasing conversion rate revenue per visitor, you would look at them as having a very successful experimentation or optimization program. Can you describe the characteristics of a brand that fits that mold? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think number one, I would say a lot of the brands that we work with, you know, they either haven't had, uh, you know, like a testing um, operating system or they haven't really done, you know, like an organized testing strategy. They maybe have tested one off or, you know, set up a, a few experiments and optimize. So I think something that I've seen really key is just testing velocity. Um, so really, once you launch and once you have a priority, like not getting hung up in, you know, oh, is this the exact right thing to test or is there an opportunity here versus there, but just getting velocity. I think, you know, just having, having seen win rates be around maybe 20% or so, if you run five tests a month, you know, pretty simple math, you're going to get a winner per month, uh, you know, yeah. one winner each month. Yeah. Whereas if you, if you run one test a month or you kind of do sporadic testing, you might be lucky to get two or three wins a year. So yeah. I think testing velocity is, um, is really key for clients who see a lot of success. And that 20% is, I can recall years ago, seeing Monetate and the early Optimizely days. And that was their, that was part of their pitch was the average percent of winners, statistically significant winners was 20 to 25%. So if you are ever above that, then you're just, you're flying. And you know, part of that value prop back then was access to more data, ability to run tests faster, et cetera. So that's a really key point. So your recommendation Ensuring that you're running at least three to five at the minimum experiments per month, if your traffic can support that and just make sure if don't view four quote unquote losses as a loss. So you're not going to expect to get five wins. Getting one win out of five experiments is normal. And I th think the other thing, since we just got off the guess a test recording is the tests don't always have to be super complex. So it could be like, hey, we sh we think we need to include this new UGC block up you know, on top of the page or whatever it might be. And doing some of this existence testing of, well, let's validate that our what we feel like is going to improve the site conversion rate actually does. And you just, that's your experiment is validating your hypothesis. And then you realize like, oh, that, that actually negatively impacted our conversion rate. So good thing we tested that so we didn't implement this let the site run for a month or two and then we started doing this regression analysis of why did conversion rate drop over the last 30 days 
And at that point, you don't really know since not many people annotate changes in Google Analytics or just keep track of site changes as a whole. So it leaves you scrambling, like, is it a marketing issue? Is it a Facebook issue? Is it a tracking issue? Is it something else? And many times it just could be self-sabotage of making massive changes on a site without testing it. What else? What are what are some other characteristics with uh, brands that you see that are really successful in uh, experimentation programs? Yeah, I think piggybacking off that, um, I think having a laser focus on testing to win can be detrimental. Um, I think the the kind of consensus with CRO is, you know, hey, right when we start testing, we're going to see our conversion rate double. That's very infrequent. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it is a matter of just making those iterative changes. And I think even from tests that are quote unquote losses, like really having buy-in from the client and, and having them understand the learnings and the insights that can come out of tests that maybe didn't increase conversion rate, but I think can, can really be applied, you know, to other, yeah. other potential tests, next iterations on tests, things like that. So really having like a, a test to learn focus as well as, you know, obviously trying to increase your KPIs. Yeah. And I think another one, having dev support so you can run more complex experiments. Is that right? Is another characteristics that you see? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, just being able to unlock, you know, kind of the the more complex tests beyond what you can do just on the front end through VWO or Google Optimize, having that support from a dev team or, you know, a, a dev agency. Um, that's another really key piece in and being able to run some of those more complex, um, you know, complex tests. Yeah. What's your process? How how would you go about prioritizing what to focus on so is there a process that you go through in your head is it just every time i'm, I'm starting here that i'm looking at this then i'm looking at this and that's going to drive the prioritization and recommendation what's what does that look like for you yeah so initially i like to get an understanding from the client if they have any whether it be quarterly initiatives or just kind of overarching um you know, marketing goals that they have. So for example, we have a couple of clients who are really focused on uh, boosting their AOV. They see that as kind of the uh, the more sustainable unlock in terms of yeah. uh, revenue increase just with, you know, increasing ad costs and things like that. They see AOV as kind of being the primary lever. So that that really helps in terms of prioritizing, like understanding, you know, rather than just saying like, hey, let's go increase performance on this site. If we have a a more singular focus on on what the goal is from the client, then that that really helps to prioritize, and we can kind of um, you know start to run tests that are very specific to to um, addressing that goal. When you start splitting hairs with data analysis and qualitative versus quantitative data, what's what's your typical process look like, or what would you see or describe as the ideal process? And then what's the reality based on constraints? So time constraints, et cetera, or data constraints? Yeah. So obviously, you know, clients that I work with were in the Elevar system. So, you know, quantitative data is, you know, obviously one of our main focuses. So really yeah. not too much of a constraint there. I, I think the biggest constraint from a data analysis perspective is just the amount of time or yeah. 
you know, potentially the the complexity of reporting and, and things that we can look at within GA. But yeah, really, really like to to kind of dig into GA um, beyond just the standard reports, but looking more so at segments of users, um, you know, not looking in aggregate at what users are doing, but, you know, getting yeah. a little more granular with, you know, behavioral data and things like that. And then on the, the qualitative side, um, that that's where I would say there's less consistency. Um, some clients have Hotjar or Lucky Orange installed and, and they're collecting some qualitative data, maybe doing a bit of surveying, things like that. But I would say that's that's the piece that I think can really unlock some additional insights, um, especially for a client. Yeah, can you can you go a little bit deeper on that in the qual in the survey or sorry the hot jar lucky orange of the world? Like how when you say it could really unlock some really deep insights, can you just describe what that what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a couple clients who have um, you know like an exit intent survey. Or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they've been on the site for three pages or, you know, 30 seconds, whatever it might be, and they have a survey pop up. Um, There's actually a pretty strong redemption rate or or a completion rate for those types of surveys. Some clients get, you know, five to seven percent of users who see the survey, they end up responding. Really? So I think that's like one misconception is that if you run a survey like that, you're going to get no responses. Um, at least, you know, in my experience, I've actually seen a decent amount of um, clients have, again, three, five, seven percent, you know, response rate for those surveys. And then I think really specifically looking at what you're asking. So having a goal for the questions that you're asking. Uh, so I think it's it's easy to just spin up some questions and um, yeah. and ask them. And then all this data is just going to sit there unless you have a plan of action for what you'll do with the responses. So for example, Qualaroo, they have a really great article we can share in the, the notes as well. But they have kind of like a framework for asking uh, qualitative questions. So trying to get to what's the root of the problem that a user is trying to solve? You know, what are solutions that they're currently using, whether it be a competitor or they're just like, it's not an acute enough problem for them to solve. Um, that's that's definitely something to uncover. Um, what their hesitations or sensitivity is, um, whether it be, you know, price sensitivity, uh, maybe they're unsure about sizing or, you know, if the, the product is going to work for their specific use case, things like that. So I think really having a, a goal for the questions that you're asking and what insights that you're looking to to gain from those questions. That's a really good insight. I uh, I'm shocked that the response rate is that is that high still. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, uh, it's there aren't a ton of clients who are doing uh, you know kind of site wide qualitative surveys. Should everyone have an exit intent survey? It's not necessarily every day, twenty four hours a day, but different periods throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think definitely. Um, even if it's specific, like if you only want it on a product page or if you only want it on, you know, uh, sessions that have, you know, three or four page views versus somebody who just, you know, lands and bounces, maybe they're, they're not as, uh, their response isn't going to be as insightful, but I think, I, I think it's really worth just collecting some, uh, some of that information and getting a read on, you know, why users are leaving or, or what their hesitations are. 
if you can give two example questions that someone could take and apply, what what would two questions be? Uh, yeah. So like I said, Qualaroo, they have probably like, I don't know, 30 or 40 questions. But um, yeah, specifically, I think understanding, you know, like what are the hesitations that a user is is facing or, you know, potentially preventing them from um, from purchasing or moving on kind of to the next step in the funnel. So question number one, what what friction are we causing or preventing you from buying today? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I, I think specifically, like trying to ask questions that give the user the ability to, to provide context beyond a binary yes or no, or just a multiple choice, you know, free response form questions I've seen don't get quite as much engagement or quite as high of a response rate. But I think the learnings that you get from questions like that are going to be a lot more valuable than, you know, are, are you sensitive to price? Yes or no sort of question. Yeah. Well, I've, there is research. I think it was right message that I read this a couple of years ago and it's a lot of it was around email opt-in optimization where instead of presenting someone with an email opt-in, like enter your email here and sign up for X, Y, and Z, it's you ask a simple question like, are you a marketer or a business owner? And you you click that. And then maybe one more question. And then you hit them up with the email because you've, as, a, as there's some psychology behind it, once you've answered, you've broken down that barrier of potentially sharing some information about yourself. So I wonder if that's the, is that the approach that Qualaroo or you've seen work well is you ask that binary question, which is also... A very uh, it's a very uh, quiz specific uh, optimization where you just you just need someone to get in like get going with the quiz don't have a very complicated question for number one so it's just a yes or no and then hit them up with that open-ended survey question yeah that's a, i think that's a great strategy um i haven't i haven't had clients who have specifically or kind of intentionally done that but i think that there, there are a few clients that are doing something similar where they ask a very yeah easy to answer question initially and then, you know, kind of just get a user into the, the survey funnel. Did you find w- what you were looking for today? Yes or no? No. Mm-hmm. What, what, yeah. what's up? Okay. Um, any, can you pick out like, again, just one other question off the top of your head, just for inspiration, what would be another question that has been, uh, you've seen actually drive some insightful responses? Yeah. So one that I, I think can be really, really insightful is, Something along the lines of, you know, is there any information that would help you uh, get to the next step in the funnel? Or like, you know, is there any information that would have given you the confidence to purchase? Some sort of question a- a- along those lines. With with analyzing GA and, and looking at, you know, GA data and things like that and behavioral events, you're only going to be able to see what currently exists on the site and what users are able to interact with. And you're really not going to have that picture of, are they missing information, you know, on um, width fit or like if it's a, a, you know, a footwear client or something like that, or you really don't know what you don't know, I guess. So asking that sort of question can uncover some of those insights into, are we making assumptions that, that we think the user will know that maybe they have, you know, still questions unanswered. That's a really good insight is, yeah, is you need your customers to tell you what you aren't telling them. Mm-hmm, exactly. 
So think of like a piece of equipment or something. If you if it's waterproof, but you don't make that very clear and apparent, and they're leaving because they don't know if it's waterproof or not, that would be uh yeah that's 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 a good one. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on comparing or looking at competitors or other sites for inspiration to rob and duplicate, aka copy. I recently read a, a good book called Decoding Greatness. A lot of amazing insights in there, but they they had an example. They were breaking down Apple versus Samsung, and they actually had a grid of part of decoding the differences between them was looking at their two sites, and it did a, they did a count of the number of images per site, the number of buttons per site, comparing the number of words. Uh, there is a whole list of aspects of comparing the two against one another in a, a very objective manner. And uh, I think the assumption there was that Apple is the better brand because of X, Y, and Z, and using that as some of an anchor of looking at how they're pot potentially presenting themselves online. So out of your experience, what, what are your thoughts and recommendations on looking at so what someone else is doing and assuming it works for them and applying it to your own business. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's important to keep, uh, to have an understanding and to keep up to date on the competitive landscape. Mm -hmm. I would caution, caution listeners or, or users from just assuming that what somebody else is doing is going to work for you. Uh, especially if there's a specific you know, like brand position that, that they're taking that would be against what you're doing. So really yeah. simplistic example is like, you know, pricing, like that can be a competitive advantage for somebody else that maybe isn't uh, a competitive advantage for you. So just assuming that pricing is, is going to be the lever that you should pull. That would be a, obviously a very basic example of that. But I think, yeah, yeah just understanding what other what other competitors are doing, even from, you know, I, I think like in the, the sized um, apparel or, or footwear clothing space, understanding like how for brands that aren't as well known as like a Levi's or a Nike, where anyone who goes to that site is basically going to know what size they wear. Um, yeah. how, how, are, how are other competitors addressing, you know, hesitations and concerns around that? Is it a virtual fit? Is it a quote unquote AI powered solution? Um, is it a, a really favorable returns policy? So I think things like that can actually be really, really helpful in understanding how others are maybe addressing similar hesitations. Yeah, there's two. I, I hear both. It's don't copy others. <laughs> if you there's a when it comes to boats, there is a I don't know if it's famous or not, but. Don't ever follow another boat assuming they know where they're going because chances are they don't know where they're going. So if they end up you know, running aground or whatever, you're going to do the same thing. So that's the don't always look at others. And then there's, again, the uh, another good book from uh, Nathan Latka. I think it's called How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. But it, it, the big thing that he pushes is just look at what others are doing that's already successful, kind of like the Decoding Greatness book. But look at what others are doing already that's successful and just save you save your own R&D time and pick that up and iterate it and test it. And I think a couple of those points you brought up around sizing and what, what other brands are potentially doing is a, is a great point. With that, we are about 40 minutes in. Kirby, I know you got to run. Appreciate you taking time and sharing some of your wisdom and uh, 
it was uh, fun talking through our top experiments of all time and we had a lot of alignment. Anything else you want to share? I'll sh- I got one more share for everybody. If you aren't watching Kirby's guest to test episodes, they're on YouTube. Kirby is sharing control and variant examples so you can see the data behind an experiment. What was the hypothesis? What was the winner? And that, my folks, is, <laughs> friends, that's an example of R&D, what Kirby has already tested and validated on some, some sites. And you can build out your test backlog there and uh, hopefully get you some quick winners. Kirby, anything else to share? Nope, nothing else. Alrighty, that's it. See you next time. Yep, thanks, Brad. See ya. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again. 